Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you the truth. I hate to break it to you all, but conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theories are just like the moon landing. They're all fake. Conspiracy horror on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Hey, Jason, what about Yetis? No! <sighs> Welcome, all you conspiracy theorists, to another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Have you heard the one about uh, the elevator conspiracy? Oh, God, what? Hundreds of people are saying they got, they get, they got stuck between floors, but I don't believe them. I think they all made it up. <laughs> this Nobody is epi- levels to that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is episode 262, or is it? Come on. We are going to talk about (laughs) conspiracy horror films today and push as many buttons with Jason as we can, apparently. Uh, So put your aluminum foil hats on and sit back and relax to this. Uh, This is going to be a very interesting show. Now, if you haven't heard our show before, Attack of the Killer podcast, we are a horror movie podcast. We're a group of friends. We get together. We pick a topic. We talk about movies within that topic, horror movies specifically. Uh, We are all just friends here, and we speak openly and freely, so there may be spoilers. If you like what you hear, uh, you may want to consider becoming an attacker. Now, what is an attacker? An attacker is a very special person that it, it's kind of like the Illuminati. <laughs> oh boy. Where, where you get all kinds of cool, cool free stuff. When you support the show, you can get everything from like um, bonus episodes to our different video series, um, all kinds of cool, even a t shirt if you want. You could get a t shirt. Uh, so you need to jo- become an attacker. Just go to jointheattackers.com and you can check out the different tiers there. Sign up for the tier that best suits you so you can get the content that you want. That's jointheattackers.com. We actually want you to tell people you're in the club, though. Unlike the get Illuminati. a shirt. Yeah. That's right. And now it is time to introduce you to the podcast crew. He believes that there are too many aliens on our planet. That's why they are called extraterrestrials. Andy. (laughs) Hi. He has a new theory about the JFK assassination that will blow your mind. Too soon. Tad, everybody. Not too soon. And lastly, he believes that aliens have not visited our solar system. His theory is that aliens read the reviews and our solar system only has one star. Jason! Oh, I kind of like that one. That was good. Thanks. But hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Sure appreciate you being here. Now, just real quick, after our last episode, I will keep my soapbox <laughs> short about Shudder. Hey! <laughs> Sign up for Shutter. Okay, so now we can. 
Well, actually, you should sign up for Shutter, and if you if uh, you're unsure, you can get a month for free thanks to us here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. Just enter a promo code AOTKP. So don't be lame. Start watching Shutter. Now, speaking of watching stuff, here's Tad with what we watched. What we watched. I am excited to hear that you probably all watched everything everywhere all at once, because I'm going to bring that up every time, every episode. <laughs> um, Jason, what have you watched? Hey, I watched some things. Um, yep, yep. I watched The North Man. Oh, nice. Fucking awesome. It was Way great. more farts than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, one is way more than there should be in a major motion right. picture. But uh, Robert Eggers does it again. It was fantastic, and I love... I enjoy... I, I remember I thought it was last episode, Tad said he doesn't like these kind of movies necessarily. The Just the bleak... I don't, and element. I like this one. Yeah. Yeah, I do like them, and it was just a fun, fun, stressful journey for that fella, that North man. <laughs> that North man. Um, I uh, checked out Morbius. That was fun. Oh, is that out? Yeah. Oh, crap. Wow. I didn't even realize it was out. Yeah. You're right, crap. Oh. Yeah, it's not that. It wasn't. I didn't love it. It's okay. It, it's fine. I don't know. Do you think they're at the point now where the other studios that are holding on to Marvel properties are intentionally making their movies bad just so Marvel movies look all that much better? I thought this was Marvel. It's a Sony it, Marvel. It's a Sony. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, it, Spider-Mans are still Sony, so I don't know. But no, they hmm. work, Mar- Marvel works with them. That's true. Sony just distributes those, and Marvel pays them a large fee to use Spider-Man. I thought there was great potential. Um, I thought the duder was great, and, uh, and the actors were all great. It was just, uh, I just had a hard time with the pacing slash writing. Uh, just the first half, just the way they just jump to conclusions on things, and they don't, you just... It's just okay. He can do this now, you know, and like, or this is what happens, and you're just okay with it. It's, it's far too fast and convenient, and it was a bummer. But it's re- it's really hit or miss. With I'm um, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I was just thinking like it's really hit or miss with like a B character, you know, like that. I think, but at the same time, if it wasn't for a, like a B character like Blade. We do not have the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what jump started it. Yeah. He's not wrong. Uh then I watched uh Firestarter. Me too. Oh. I need yeah. to get around to that. Yeah. It I need to finish no, you it. Don't. Come on. No, you don't. Come on. It's there were moments and I'm like, maybe this isn't good. But then I think by the end I was like, <laughs> I think this I like good. it. No, it was better than that. There were, I mean, there was a baby that caught on fire at, right yeah. at the beginning, and I'm like, I'm like, this is going to rule, and then there's no more babies that catch on fire. Oh, and then your scale these days of what's good and what isn't good in movies. Hey, 
Erica has my back, okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she she's pr- That's why she gave it five stars. <laughs> five flaming babies she gave I mean, wh- it. No, but is, they do kill the, a cat. Oh, do not so. give but her an idea kill. for a yeah. rating system. <laughs> what is, what is like, the prerequisite for, like, burning children in order for, to make the... I mean, it can't be one, obviously, but... And so, be, what do you mean? Like, at least three or four? What, for the age? Well, well, no. Like, I mean, how many babies? How many to burn? Yeah, to make it a good. Moving on. So, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, since I don't nursery. know how to read, I don't. Rose I did. I did read the Stephen King thing. So I, and it's been a minute since I saw the original, but I, I don't know. It felt really different. Um, but kind, you know, kind of, kind of neat though. It felt like it came more out of uh, the X Men universe than it did a Stephen King universe. I was sort of like, I've never seen the original and I was trying to figure out like, I, I, would I have enjoyed this if I paid to see it in the theater? Because I, I watched it on Peacock. Yeah. You give me that option. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to watch it on Peacock right. and I'm like, I'm, I doesn't have my undivided attention. I'm not like, when I go out to a movie, it's a whole different experience. You know, you get your popcorn, you get your seat and you put tear on your phone off and it's like, you're in that world. You're engaged. So I'm curious. Yeah, and I don't, I'm like, and I was, I, I usually like going against everyone else's, like, I mean, like, everyone hated on Halloween Kills, and I had a blast seeing that in theaters, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I watched this Firestarter, like, the night it came out, or on Thursday night, and it was like, the, inter- the internet instantly shit all over it, and I'm like, yeah. I don't want to agree with them, I but know. I just didn't. I mean, maybe I, I, I'm not shitting on it either. I, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be, no. but it just, it was so forgettable. I forgot I watched it like the next day. For me, it just, it took a while, mm. but by the end, I'm like, okay, I do care what happens to this girl. And I kind of care about what happens to dad. It just took most of the movie to get me there, but um, yeah, I still gave it like three stars. It wasn't. And then lastly, I wish someone would have told me about this movie um, that it was probably the best thing I've seen all year. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. <laughs> I finally watched that. and I, If someone would have told me how to watch it sooner, but it was pretty good. Yes. Kind of loved it. Kind of want to watch it again once my me tears too. replenish themselves. Yeah. That's what I watched. Excellent. Andy, what have you watched? Not a whole lot. Um, I've mainly just been watching uh, television shows with the wife. I've been catching up on the second season of Russian Doll, and I'm enjoying that. Uh, I've been watching uh, Wellington uh, Paranormal on HBO Max, which I highly recommend oh, to you guys. Yeah, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. That show is hilarious. It's, it's a great, great show. Um, uh, I've been catching up on some of the Blu-rays I purchased, and I pick and I purchased um, the Vestron series of Class of 1999. Have you guys ever seen this? It's an older movie, but it's where like they have like mechanical teachers and like these gang members are trying to kill them and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, with um, seen uh, the '84, not the '99. St- well, this is a sequel. St- yeah. Stacy, well, loosely. <laughs> We, uh, yeah, Stacy like my sequels. Stacy Keach and Pam Greer, right? Uh yes, and um, Malcolm McDowell. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, and, and Bradley then, Gregg from Nightmare Three. And then the kid, um, I can never remember his name. He's a uh, 
he was in um, River's Edge and Teen Witch and um, oh, uh, near near dark and, and near uh, dark. Yeah, he's uh, J- Joshua Miller. Joshua Miller, thank you. Yeah, he he wrote. He ended up writing. Um, oh, uh, final the final girls. Yeah, and yeah, he, and he's also like one of the little uh, Doctor Chalice's kids in uh, Halloween <laughs> Three. But that's anyway. And he's um, the son of um, of the what's his name from the Exorcist? Father, um, yeah. uh, the ones whose mom sucks cocks in hell. Yeah. Uh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, it's it's just cheesy, uh, low grade, nineteen um, nineties, uh, you know, fun, um. Not much to it, but I learned I learned a lot of things like in the uh, the the commentary and the special features. Now, I I I really thought that I was pretty eagle eyed and catching stuff. But did you guys? She doesn't have a speaking role in this movie, but she's in three different scenes as like kind of like in the background as a student. But Rose McGowan was actually in the class of nineteen ninety nine. Oh, nice. Okay. Yep, she's like in three different scenes, but she doesn't say shit. Um. And another thing, and keep in mind that this is 1990 when the director was going out and he was, they, they were filming in Seattle and, um, he was looking for, you know, just m- music in the background, like kind of harder stuff, uh, you know, cause like, you know, these, these gangs, they party and whatnot. And he goes into this club, like it's, and it's like, kind of like, um, industrial rock, I would say at the time. And he goes and meets this band. It's like, hey, I really like your sound. Can I use like you know some of your uh, music in my film? And they're like, and they they just wanted to get noticed and get heard. And it's like, oh, you want to put our music in a, in a movie? Okay. Turns out it's Nine Inch Nails. Oh, so cool. like Nine Inch, yeah. So so like in certain scenes, you're gonna hear like head like a hole and stuff like that, which became popular, you know, after this movie, of course. But. Uh, yeah, the, there's a bunch of Nine Inch Nails songs just, you know, sprinkled throughout this movie. And I was just like, I remember hearing them. I was like, dude, that's that's Nine Inch Nails. And then, you know, when I watched a little bit of the commentary, they were, uh, the director relayed the story. But yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, it's got like that weird kid from, um, uh, you know, Billy Drago's kid uh, that was in Northern Exposure, like Darren Burroughs, I think. I think that's I think that's his name. Anyway, he plays um one one of the gang members too, but uh yeah, just uh just real cheesy fun with, you know, from when I was like 10, but I was just like, "Oh god, I remember this movie." It was yeah, I watched it again. It's a good time. But anyway, yeah, I'm totally slacking. I need to watch Firestarter, I need to watch Morbius, I need to watch everything everywhere all at once. I need to watch freaking Doctor Strange too. But I will get there, I promise, and I will love talking about it with you guys. That is what I watched. <laughs> Excellent. That leaves you, Mike. What have you watched? Um, Jason, have you still not seen do- the second Doctor Strange? No. You saw Morbius over Doctor Strange? Well, it's, <laughs> I, it's streaming. It's streaming. Oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. He didn't pay to I see Morbius. I don't live in a He's town not, with he, a theater, so... <clears throat> I've... I've Assumed you went to the theater. Okay, so first, uh, which do I want to talk about first? Um, I watched The Bubble. Did you guys catch that on Netflix? John Travolta. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> what? 
Bubble Boy. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, the bubble. Mm. bubble uh, boy. It, it's about making this. Uh, making movie this, in COVID. Yeah, making a movie during COVID. Sounds fun. Judd, Judd Apatow oh, movie. It yeah, it's just, it's funny. It's okay. It it's it's got some cool people in it. Um, all of them escape me at this moment, but uh, it's got some funny stuff. I, I guess at the end of the day, maybe it's kind of forgettable. I did. The storytelling in general to me was a little um, disjointed, but yeah, it was all right. Uh, the one I'm really excited to talk about um, is I, uh, not too long ago, finally got around to watching The Last Movie Star with uh, Burt Reynolds. Oh my oh, God, yeah. isn't that fucking awesome. awesome? That movie is freaking awesome. Well, it's so good. You know, I finally watched it, right? It's directed by Adam Rifkin. Mm-hmm. So, mm. um, there's definitely a lot of Adam Rifkin all over that movie, which is great. I think there's some blimpy references in there, but uh, yeah, such a great movie. And I love those scenes where he's interacting with scene, like his dream, his daydreams where he's mm-hmm. interacting with himself from other movies. Uh, so that's very so um, Nick Cage's new movie, the unbearable weight of massive talent, like oh, a lot like that. Dang it. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, it just keeps making me want to see that movie more and more. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Did it, so did it make you want to go to a little film festival again? Oh yeah, it's just in a house yeah. on a bed sheet kind of thing. Yep. Um, and the last thing I'll bring up is I uh, been marathoning uh, Barry. Uh, which I is, need to get on that. I've heard nothing but great things. Oh, it's hilarious, but. I I marathoned the first two seasons and then started watching the third season. I was trying to slow down so I wouldn't get ahead of myself, but I'm completely caught up and dying to see what happens next, obviously. But this third season, oh, man, I'm really curious on what direction they're going to go with it because <laughs> I'm just going to say he's Barry's not turning out to be <laughs> la, 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 la. Such the guy we want we want him to be. Well, they renewed season. it for season four, and he's directing all the episodes. Yeah, and he's directed a few throughout these uh, first three seasons. Um, uh, definitely Bill, renews Bill your Bill love Bill for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'll definitely renew your love for the Fonz. Uh, Henry Winkler is awesome in this show. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. And what's great about it is like there's a lot of comedy, obviously. But there's a lot of like really intense dramatic stuff too, and everybody just nails it. So, um, I highly recommend Barry. But that's what I've watched. Hey, Tad, what have you been watching? Speaking of Henry Winkler, I watched him jump the shark today during my lunch break. Nice. Um, For real? Pluto TV but... has the Happy Days channel, and uh-huh. that is on awesome. way too often at my house. Um, <laughs> And it, I mean, what are the odds you turn it on and jump to shark episodes on? You're going to watch it, right? Yeah, and, you are. And get back to work late because you stayed and watched the whole episode. <laughs> exactly. Ex- and my boss has to understand. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, rational. He has to be rational. Anyways, um, <laughs> I watch quite a bit, guys. Um, I watched Firestarter. I let my opinions be heard. I didn't hate it. I, I like to, you know, play that advocate to Jason loving everything. Um had a great fucking score from John Carpenter. So if nothing else, uh, Oh, that's right. The score yeah. was good, which is just weird mind fuck to think that Carpenter 
was supposed to direct the original Firestarter got fired because of how bad, how poorly the thing did in the box office. So he ended up getting Christine instead. And to me, all things are right in this universe. <laughs> you know, things have a way of working themselves out, right? Right. Like I can't imagine a world where Carpenter didn't do Christine, but it's cool to bring him back and let him do a score to a movie he had nothing to do with. You know. Um. Anyways, Friday the Thirteenth. I uh, watched. Friday 13th, a new beginning on the big screen, which is a blast. Nice. That's, a, that's a fun one to watch with a crowd and um, a heavily intoxicated crowd at that. Um, and then that night watched Housebound on Joe Bob, Last Drive-In. That was one of his two movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we watched that for this show years ago, and that's a blast, and that's a fun mm-hmm. one for him to talk about. Um, and then this past week on uh, the at the or the last drive-in he did Nosferatu and Nosferatu the Vampire, which I had never seen, the the reboot with... Uh, Klaus Kinski? Yeah, Kinski. And he, he had so many good stories about Kinski. And, oh, I bet. Uh, I totally missed this last one, so I... Yeah, it's it's been fantastic. Um, watched the Better Call Saul mid-season finale last night. Holy shit, that show rules. Um, checked out Jackass 4.5 which is a lot of fun. It's basically all the, oh. all the s- sketches that did not make it in the for- Jackass Forever. It's on Netflix now. And then um, one movie that really blew my mind, I had a blast with, I can't believe I'm saying this, and I'm telling everyone <laughs> who's listening to go see it or check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Wow. Oh, man, you blew my mind when you were talking about that online. I'm like, oh, and I so want to is- see it now. The tip of the iceberg, you guys. This movie, you could watch it literally three times in a row and you would not catch all the references. This movie is, it puts um, Ready Player One to shame. To shame. Wow. This movie has, it's it's a Roger Rabbit world and every, every animated character from like, from all the way back to the 20s. I mean, I, I can't imagine how Disney, how much they had to shell out to use everybody's. I mean, they have the Fabulous Probably Furry Freak Brothers. Now. I mean, they have Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, Beavis and Butthead, Shit, um, really? Dobby, what? I mean, every, uh, uh, South Park. I mean, everything uh, from a, all the way to adult to kids, um, Big Mouth, uh, like modern. Um, what? Big Mouth? Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, just really weird, and they they make some really adult. I mean, this movie is for adults, but it's rated like PG. I mean, it's insinuated that Dale from Chip and Dale is a stripper. Um, <laughs> he listens to uh, uh, Lamb of God in his earbuds. I mean, it has Tenacious D's on the soundtrack. Uh, it has Skeletor. It has Transformers. It has He Man. Um, has- oh, there you I go, did. Jason. I'm gonna go watch this right now. You guys, yeah, it, it's, like, it's so much we, fucking fun, and the writing's so God. clever. It's, it's done by the uh, Lonely Island guys hmm. um, from SNL. Andy Samberg and John Mulaney play Chip and Dale, um, and they have the just like a who's combo who, ever. Uh, Jim Cummings plays Darkwing Duck. I mean, they have what the they got they, there's a scene where they're at a convention where all the washed up animated characters are at, and like it's like a, <laughs> I'm like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> Um, looking around, I don't want to spoil like the the main villain. I mean, um, Seth Rogen plays every animated character he's ever voiced in the movie, which is hilarious. And and, and I will, oh, I, I want to spill everything. But one of the funniest gags is this ugly Viking character played by Seth Rogen, and it's done in the style of 
um, the Polar Express with that really awkward CGI where they can, and and they actually they make fun of it. Like he answers this door, and the chipmunks are like, "Who are you talking to?" And he's like, "Well, you guys, obviously." And he's like, "But you're not looking at us." He's like, "Oh, my my animation doesn't allow my eyes to move." And they're like, "Well, this is weird." He's they're like, "You have those de- those weird uh, dead." polar express eyes and he's like it's just so funny they make references to that like one of the chipmunks is cgi and that's like uh in in the animated world is like considered getting work done (laughs) and so the the plot of this movie and this isn't a spoiler this is just really fucking clever okay the idea is that this this villain that i will not spoil it will blow your mind when when you see him this the villain of the movie is kidnapping old animated characters and bringing them to the black market and he erases their mouths so they can't speak. And he takes away a distinguishing characteristic and creates bootleg movies, sort of like asylum movies with these characters <laughs> so that they won't get sued by Disney or whatever, Warner brothers or whatever. So like they have like wow. flounder from um, little mermaid and they like remove like his stripes and put like a weird fin on his back or something. So he's just different enough. And they put him in a movie that's like, um, petite fish girl instead of the little mermaid. <laughs> and in this world, I mean, literally they're walking down the street and you'll see uh, hundreds of references behind them. There's like a Gucci ad with Dobby in it. There's um butthead f- is Senator like, yeah, Beavis and butthead are in, and, and butthead is, is a Senator. It, it's mind blowing. You guys, this movie is a treat. It is so fucking funny. And like, you could pause it just frame by frame and it would blow your mind. Like I had to, I had to get on the internet right away and look up all the shit I missed because I was, I was just awesome. flabbergasted. Yeah. So the idea is like, there. Uh, did you guys ever watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers in the late eighties? Oh yeah, I did. They, they had their sidekick Pepper Jack, the the bigger chip with the big mustache. Yep. Mm-hmm. Monterey, yeah. Sorry, different cheese. But the idea <laughs> is that he's kidnapped and they have to get back the the Rescue Rangers back together to save him. And uh, yeah, that that's the idea of the story. It's it's a very simple story, but it's so goddamn good. It's on Disney Plus. They I, I listened to the writers on a podcast, and they talked about how they literally wrote the script and this this title of it. Working title was Chippendale Rescue Rangers reboot. Nobody asked for, <laughs> and they t- took it to every studio. And Disney Plus was like, "We'll try, but there's no way we're getting all these rights." And they did, and they got. There's a few that you could tell that they couldn't, so they make jokes about them. Yeah, nice. Yeah, the the, uh, the Coca Cola polar bears in it, but he can't like actually have Coke, so he just holds like a nondescript uh, cola bottle. <laughs> Very funny stuff. It's it, it's so. I mean, I'm not even like spoiling anything. It's just you got to watch it. It's on Disney Plus. It's like an hour and a half, but it's like from. F- from the first fucking minute until the post credits, it's so it's unbelievable, man. Like I, I don't know how they convinced Disney to make this <laughs> and put it out. I wish it was in theaters, but uh, it is such a treat, it's an unexpected treat too. Just just so good. But I'll stop talking about it because I've been on it for a half an hour. That's what I watched. <laughs> oh nice. man, yeah, you, I'm, you, you sold it, Tad. You sold it really good. Yeah, I am totally sold. Like I was sold with the things you revealed when you were talking to messenger but now it's like i'm i'm with andy let's let's wrap this up so we can go watch it how could you not want to see a movie where butthead is a senator (laughs) (laughs) i want to see it on that alone oh man oh 
Yeah, let's get this done then so we can go watch it. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, well, thank you, Tad, for all of that. And uh, now, this is the moment of the show I've been waiting for this episode. Because I think, I, I think, I know I'm going to win this time. This is going to be my time. My time down here. It's your time up there, but my time down here. What am I talking about? I don't know. Let's find out with Jason in pole position. From now on, like your parents were, you are the secret force of pole position. All right, let's take a quick look back at episode 260's poll. And the question was, who are your favorite horror movie doctors? You guys remember answers? That's fine, I'll tell you. So Insane Mike said Dr. Loomis and Dr. Frankenfurter. Woo! Pretty good. Jason says Herbert West and Seth Brundle. Tad says Hannibal Lecter and Dr. Satan. And Andy says Dr. Frankenstein and Dr. Moreau. Oh, MG fellas. Well, I hate to say it, Andy. You got zero votes. What? D Frankenstein. That's <laughs> oh, gee. I'm sorry. I have to uh I'm I'm uh, I'm in Andy's That's corner harsh. on this one. This is I know. Damn yeah. These other picks no are just so good. OGs. I know. Yeah. And so in third place is Tad with nine percent. Oh, of the how vote. the mighty has fallen. <laughs> I forgot to log into my bot accounts. But. Yeah, that must have been it. And so the winner, I'm looking at you oh. just in case it's you. It is me. Yes. With 64% of the vote, Insane Mike took 64%. it. 64%. Holy Jesus Christ. Crap. What the awesome. hell happened? Man. Was it the Loomis or the Frankenfurter? And people love them sweet transvestites. I'm telling you. I don't understand the internet sometimes. What happened? Hey, congrats, buddy. You finally got one. Yay! I mean, Loom- Loomis is a great That's pick. a pretty good one. That had yeah. to be what it was. Yeah, it's hard to beat the king. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into this episode's poll position. The question is, your favorite horror movie fan theories? I am not kidding. This is the part of the show I've been looking forward to the most. <laughs> So we're going to do a snake draft like normal two picks. Um, We will got the random sequence generator here. Mike will be one. I'll be two. Tad will be three. And it'll be four. Here we go. Sequence. Come on, Mike. Be last. No. First. Beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. And hit. It's in reverse order. It goes Andy. What? Then Tad. This is random. And Jason, and then Mike. You are random. So, Andy, you got the first pick, pal. Okay. Um, my favorite uh, theory is a, is a relatively it, new one, but it's just I think it's hilarious, and it cut and it does kind of make sense. But there's a fan theory out there that Kevin McAllister from Home Alone Ugh. actually becomes Jigsaw. <laughs> Because of the traps that he sets in the house, he kind of becomes like, you know, this kind of, uh, I guess he, you know, Jigsaw, you know, does it because of his wife later on, but he kind of gets his training, like, you know, from hurting all the wet bandits. This is like his, uh, his very crude 
way of uh, hurting people. And yeah, the theory goes that Kevin McAllister actually grows up and becomes Jigsaw in Saw. Nice. I thought Tad would want that one just for the... All right, Tad, you're up next. I was going to say, that's like the only one I could come up with, so let me look here real quick on (laughs) the internet. (laughs) Oh, Uh, I think there was one, and I I misunderstood this and was thinking it was like like conspiracy theories behind making the movies, like behind the scenes. Um, So I I guess the only other one I could find that I thought was even interesting was that uh, Sam Loomis from Psycho is actually Sam Loomis from John Carpenter's Halloween. That's a good I, one. Know, no, it's not. But um, well, we knew what, was, as the theory goes, besides the fact that they both have the same name, is that after Loomis's encounter with Norman, he decided to go into psychiatry and and yeah, I guess that. I'm glad you explained it because I, like I said, I had yeah. to Google and try to find something because I don't know. I don't have any, so uh, thank you, Mike. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, so I'm up next. I'm going to go with a fun one that uh, is movies that I love. Um, I'm going with the conspiracy theory that Childs from that one movie, The Thing, is the thing in... Uh, that other movie they live yeah nobody oh i thought you were going to expand on it so. oh i i was trying uh, i've always heard that you know that people think he's the thing but not that he's the thing yeah. and they live so you think childs is actually frank oh no i think i made that up I read that wrong. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're confusing me here, dude. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, although yeah, I yeah. Think, although I do want to think about that, though. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, since he was one of the two that were left. Right, right. Yeah. Which he has to, I mean, either it's him, it's a 50-50 chance that it's him or yeah. McCready. And the as the theory goes, if I remember right, um thinking that Childs ends, ends up being the thing at the very end of the movie is that um, one of the one of the clues there is that uh, Kurt Russell gives him the wine to take a drink from and the bottle is, and it's supposed to supposed to be gasoline in the wine bottle because that's the same bottles he was using to make the Molotov cocktails when he blew up the thing and then mm-hmm. all, and then the other big clue is that <clears throat> After he takes the drink, that theme, that thing, theme music kicks in. And throughout the entire movie, if you go back and pay attention, when that theme music kicks in, is usually right before, right before um, the reveal of the, of the thing. Mm-hmm. Like the thing kind of shows up every time that music plays, mm-hmm. and that that stinger just starts up right after he takes a swig of the quote unquote wine or gasoline. Very cool. Yeah. See, I I really big, are into yeah, it. I am. I am. <laughs> well, all right, you're up next. Pick four and five. Did you get yours taken? No, thank you're God. So happy. My all time 
favorite. See, in these things, it's just like conspiracy <laughs> theories in general. I don't necessarily Fantastic. believe in all of them, but they're fun to think about and 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 they're fun to kind of see where people make the connecting threads. Although I I'm going to say that I do believe in this one because <laughs> I love this movie, and and there are so many haters out there of M Night Shyamalan that yeah. um, make fun of this movie for for um, big plot holes in it. And so, to me, this this fan theory is the biggest middle finger to all those haters. Um, and that theory is is in the movie Signs, the aliens are actually demons and not aliens, um, which throws that whole freaking. Oh, if they are just killed by water, why did they land in freaking cornfields? Yeah, because... Show us the evidence, bro. Present the evidence. All right, well, first of all, obviously there's a shit ton of religious themes going on throughout this entire movie. Number two, at at no point anywhere do we see spaceships, do we see the aliens land, nothing like that. So, and number three, Mel Gibson is a priest who is... Who is coming to terms with his beliefs that he is he has lost his belief until he fights these quote unquote aliens, um, and then he has his beliefs back because they're not aliens, they're demons, and of Ooh. course the water would hurt them because a priest would bless his house, aka the tap water, Ooh. and that is what takes it takes down the demons. So that, and I know there's more to it in there that I'm forgetting, but those are the main connecting threads that convinces me that it's they're not aliens, they're demons. It's fucking awesome. See, aren't these fun? I want to watch it again. Yep. I already love the movie, but that's that'll be a fun rewatch thought. Yeah, I've been meaning to for quite a long time, ever since I first uh, heard that theory. I've been meaning to rewatch it and just see if I can spot things or see if I can, uh, to make sure that... Uh, that uh, all those things are covered, you know. Aliens are misdirection. Yeah. yeah, and that would make sense with him too, right? Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so my next one then, since I get to go uh, yeah. next again. Okay. Um, let's see. Let me double check my list here. Okay. Okay, I'll go with this one because it's 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 another probably it's it's probably one of the more famous ones. Um. But I do want to bring up an honorable mention when we're done, because it's one that I really love as well, but probably not as well known, or at least the movie anyway. But uh, I'm going to go with The Blair Witch Project. Um, the Blair Witch did not kill Heather. The whole the whole thing was made up and was a plot by Josh and Mike to lure Heather out into the woods and kill her. Ooh. I've read that one. Yeah. I mean, there's, mm. there's nothing, you don't see anything supernatural happen in the movie. Um, you know, Mike is standing, you know, Josh disappears, right? And then you see Mike standing in the corner at the very end and something hits her from behind. And there's other clues too on how it seems like, you know, they, <clears throat> they are, con- um, th- like they're, they are following Heather throughout this whole adventure, but yet they're always leading the way. Like they're always in front of Heather when they're traveling, um, even though Heather's the one with the map, all this, that, and the other thing. Um, Mike is the one that kicks the map into the river. Um, like all these, all these chains of events. And if you go and watch like the Curse of the Blair Witch and read some of the uh, online, um, <clears throat> online uh, 
history of of the of the Blair Witch and everything. Uh, Heather and Josh dated at one point um, before the movie, and um, it did not end well. So I think that had that that goes in the theory that has to do with the motivation behind wanting to kill her kind of thing. So, and and again, there's a lot more to that as well. I just don't remember, but nice. Another one worth rewatching with that in mind. That'd be fun. See, see, that's why these are fun. Cause then you could, you know, Mm. you can play with that when you go back and watch these movies and look at them from a different angle. Well, that puts me next and Oh man, I got a good one here. It's, it's one of my favorites that I've actually, I did know about long before this, but um, it's that Freddie, Jason, and Ash Williams are all in the same universe thanks to that Necronomicon. Um, We have Freddie and Jason have shared a movie together, but uh, Freddie's glove is in Evil Dead 2. Necronomicon is in Jason Goes to Hell. Um, So is it possible the Necronomicon is the source of Jason and Freddie's powers? Hmm? And, uh, or is Jason actually a deadite? Mm. Interesting, right? Right? Anyway, that's one I always thought was fun. Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Make it happen. Yes, please. <laughs> All right, Ted. Pick seven. What do you got? What'd you find? I'm doing another Michael Myers one. Knew it. Another Hall- Halloween one. Um, there's a theory that Michael Myers is tethered. Uh-huh. From the movie yes. Us, Jordan Peele's Us, that he is actually like tethered there, and not just from you know him being sort of like a soulless killer that seems to be like a machine, but he doesn't talk. When you think about the uh, tethered people in yeah. Us, they don't they don't speak. They sort of grunt and they're sort of uh, a little more primal. And then there's little things like. Uh, the rabbit and red matchbook and the rabbits in us, the red jumpsuits, um, oh. the idea, you know, with the okay. rat, like replacing the rabbit brains. Uh, the t- There's one that I think is a little bit of a stretch. People claim, you know, the uh, tunnels underneath the Myers house and Halloween resurrection. Um, I like <laughs> to just not think about Halloween resurrection <laughs> right, as, right. as, as Canon. So we can wipe that one away. But yeah. um, that, and of course, that Halloween was made in 78 and uh, this was 2019. So there's no way that like Carpenter ever linked those two together, but it'd be cool in Jordan Peele's universe that he could sort of make this, you know, a reason. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Andy All says right. no. Andy. Finding Andy's favorite two movies. His favorite two directors. <laughs> well, speaking of Andy, let's finish this off. Pick eight here. What do you got? Well, um, I guess I got a, an honorable mention too, but I'll, I'll go with this one. Um, Jack Torrance is a test subject for MK ultra. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. it, uh, let's see. It says it's occasionally theorized that the caretaker position that Jack takes is a cover for the government to test drugs on the Torrances because it's isolated and they can be studied, you know, within the hotel or whatever. They say that Bill Watson is the person who gets the gig for Jack and he's the mastermind behind, behind the whole operation. 
The latter point even made more possible in the alternate ending of the film, which shows that Watson may have been more aware of the Overlook's secrets than he let on. So maybe all this stuff is, you know, that they have been drugged for the MK Ultra program and they're all going nuts, not just Jack. Nice, nice. Well, all right. I heard you guys say you had some honorable mentions. Um, I'm just going to, I'm trying to find, I got mine queued up if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. Um, there is a theory that, um, Pennywise is also killer Bob from twin peaks. Whoa. I've seen, I I just saw that one while looking. (laughs) I haven't heard that. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you the rundown. It's, um, Pennywise mentions that his name is Robert Bob Gray and, of course, Killer Bob from Twin Peaks' name's Bob. Um, They're both um, ageless supernatural beings whose given name isn't truly Bob, but um, they are both interdimensional beings. Killer Bob (coughs) came from the Black Lodge, while Pennywise came from the, the Macroverse. Since we humanoids only know our own dimension, there's no reason that the Lodge and the Macroverse can't be the same. um, Further further similarities include how both can shapeshift, Pennywise can assume different forms, and Bob can inhabit um, other beings. Um, uh, Pennywise killer uh, Bob inhabits the souls of other people, not to mention giant spiders. Top it off, they both feed on fear and suffering. Um, yeah, there's that too. And plus, um, uh, Bob's got a thing for owls too, you know, something, uh, something, something along those lines. I mean, there, there's, um, there's correlation there, but I don't know if you could really kind of hammer that down and have it be a conspiracy, but it's kind of a, kind of a cool little, uh, idea. Okay, mine, um, I was trying to find some of the dot points of the connecting thread because it's been so long since I've read up on this theory. Um, but the article's like, I don't know, it's kind of way too long to to try to try to pick it apart. And so I, I don't have a whole lot to go on this. But my second all-time favorite fan theory is Snowpiercer is a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate oh, Factory. Yeah. And... Um, so I, I just recommend going and looking into it because once you do, it'll blow your mind. It is, it is quite, um, is quite interesting. The parallels between those two movies, um, which is hilarious because you would never think that with a movie like Snowpiercer and a movie like Willy Wonka. Uh, I also want to throw out there, um, uh, <clears throat> this one was a new one. Um, that really makes a lot of sense too. uh, the boy, uh, the the son, um, you know that his dad shot. Spoilers at the end of the mist. Uh, that the boy, uh, that the the crazy religious nut lady was actually right all along, and the boy had to be sacrificed in order for the mist to end. Um, because if you think about it, when dad does shoot his son and kills him at the end of the mist, uh, the fog lifts and the military shows up. They talked a little bit about this. They did a uh, miss episode of with Gorley and Rust, and they were questioning it because there's a scene where 
one of the bugs comes right up to the face of the religious lady and it doesn't kill her. And it's like, oh, is it because she's like been praying and, and they're afraid of her because she's this like, you know, devout Christian? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun that it's in there like that. Yeah. Uh, another cool one. Um, Eugene from Behind the Mask is actually Billy from Black Christmas. <laughs> um, it's another one that I forget the connecting threads, but you know it would make sense that maybe the the filmmakers of Behind the Mask maybe kind of threw that could have possibly thrown that in there, considering there is so many horror movie and slasher movie references in Behind the Mask. Um, I I think it had something to do with when um when what's his name is talking um oh what is his name it was in Walking Dead. Herschel's, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the actor's Scott name. Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson. Yeah. When Scott Wilson is, is, he's playing Eugene. When he's talking, he's talking about being one of the first or something like that. And there was some other things that he said that during during that scene where they connected to Black Christmas. But uh, And I think I got one more um, that uh, there are actually two monsters running around in the movie Cloverfield. Yeah. Which would explain certain moments of the film where there's a there's an apparent size difference in the monster from scene to scene, <clears throat> and that kind when of when it's really so. just like someone screwing up the continuity. <laughs> yep. Uh, it was I saw one that was like comparing. I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but it was like comparing Seven to Willy Wonka. Like all these kids, like gluttony. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, and so one. Wonka's killing them off one by one because of their greediness, which is like not even really a stretch. Like literally they are dying because of their own stupidity, like the, their greediness and selfishness. Like that yeah. is the mess, like the moral message of the movie. So awesome. I like that one too. But yeah, I, I seriously get check out the snow piercer, really Wonka thing. Cause there is a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of ref uh, connecting, connecting threads where like, um, basically the guy who, runs the train that when Captain America gets to the front of the train, uh, that that's actually Charlie, um, from Willy Wonka and, and like all the, I guess you can almost say in video game turns terms, the bosses that he comes across throughout the train or the other kids from Willy Wonka. And there's, there's things that connect them. It's, it's very interesting and it, it, it goes down quite the rabbit hole. I highly recommend looking into it and then going back and watching Snowpiercer with that in mind. <laughs> well, the internet is rife with lots of conspiracy theories and while you're on the internet, be sure to get over to Twitter at AOTKP, get your votes in on this poll position. Let us know what you think are the best horror movie fan theories. And that's poll position. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome, Mike. And now it's time to talk about the movies for our conspiracy episode. Why don't you start us off, Jason? I will. Uh, we're going to, the first movie we we're talking about, oh my gosh, we're going back a little ways. Um, and it's quite a classic, if if I could say so. It's from 1959, and it's called North by Northwest.
I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders dependent upon me. And I don't intend to disappoint them all by getting myself slightly killed. Cary Grant becomes a secret agent against his will. Propelled at gunpoint onto the highest level of international intrigue and framed for murder. Cary Grant, running for his life, searching for a man who doesn't exist and a secret nobody knows and finding a blonde who has all the answers. Hello there. Tell me, why are you so good to me? Shall I climb up and tell you why? At breakneck speed, they race together toward the excitement that lies dead ahead, north by northwest. How do I know you aren't a murderer? You don't. Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, and James Mason as the man of sinister surprises. Apparently, the only performance that will satisfy you is when I play dead. In your very next role, you'll be quite convincing, I assure you. The perfect setup for suspense. With the perfect woman and the perfect crime, as Alfred Hitchcock takes you north by northwest. say all that again uh this classic suspense film finds new york city ad exec roger thornhill played by carrie grant pursued by ruthless spy philip van Dam, played by james mason after thornhill is mistaken for a government agent hunted relentlessly by van Dam's associates the harried thornhill ends up on a cross-country journey meeting the beautiful and mysterious eve kendall along the way Soon Van Damme's henchmen close in on Thornhill, resulting in a number of iconic action sequences. Directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) Uh, Holy moly, this is good. Music, Bernard Herrmann, the man himself. Oh, yeah. And uh, this was my first time watch, and... Hell yeah. What took so freaking long? Gosh dang, this is good. Mm-hmm. Very good movie. So freaking good. So many reasons. Just love these old movies. I'm, I'm, I'm. They're growing on me a lot. Looking backwards, I'm just having a blast. Yeah. And uh, you know, that Cary Grant guy, he's all right. He's, he's awesome. He's good at these <laughs> movie things. Stellar. So goddamn. Yeah. So goddamn charming. Same with mm-hmm. Eva Marie Saint. She was. She's gorgeous and take your eyes off cunning, her. and yeah. You've and got Martin mysterious. Landau. Yeah, Martin young, Landau, young first Martin of our Landau. double feature tonight. Yeah, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even realize. Yeah, we, we, and I'll be fucking we doubled, honest. We double dipped in the Landau. Landau is the fucking sexiest man alive that I've ever seen in this movie. <laughs> like he gave me a serious, I won't say that, but okay. he was, he was so guy, he looked so awesome. With his slick back hair and his, you know, being able to walk upright, I'm just not used to seeing him in movies. Where well, the the thing is, God, Hannah, he was so fucking like, cool. I I had a hard time not chuckling and thinking, you know, since like Mason, you know, was the the lead heavy. I'm thinking like 
Mason, sidekick. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, he against James Mason. I thought he fucking outdid him. He was. I thought he was awesome. I just loved it. Yeah, he. I mean, I don't know. I I thought maybe it was just for me, just because I am a Martin Landau fan. So as soon as I saw oh, him, yeah. he stole the show for me. But you know, maybe he did in general. But with saying so so little, he didn't yeah. have a whole lot of dialogue in this movie. Which what is a great. face! What a just, handsome, scary looking dude. Just a very intimidating look. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Just seeing him so young is so awesome. That, I love too. it, man. I that love too. it. Yeah. And the chemistry between Grant and Saint was really, really good. You know, really was, good. Uh, the the dinner scene where you know he lights her cigarette and then she pulls back the match and blows it out for him, and I was just like, oh yeah, nicely, nicely That's, done. This is pretty racy. Their sexy talk from right? 1959. Those two were <laughs> right. going the back and forth. Yeah, really, they going, yeah, they were going to Bone Town. It was pretty <laughs> racy. I was kind of shocked by it, to be honest, <laughs> and offended. And turned on. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Of course, your guys you know, is... you, you, have you guys ever heard about, you know, it's slightly off subject, but I am talking about Cary Grant. You know, that guy like did like hundreds of LSD trips. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, he was like with Timothy Leary and it's just like, he seems like a freaking wild man. I want to party with him. Like he like <laughs> shit, shit all over his own living room rug. You know, like Cary Grant was a fucking nut. He was so awesome. And this Hitchcock guy, I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be good. Hitchcock is great. You know, you can't, you can't really say anything negative about hitchcock or or this movie i mean it is a classic film um he wasn't very nice to women well this is true no he wasn't i'm, we're, kind of I'm just talking about as a filmmaker <laughs> okay talking about why i, was, why I, thought, I took that as a as a personal challenge okay <laughs> i could say Simple something bad about hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to see his cameo too Yep. Oh yeah. Right out of the gate, cameo. Right on the uh, nose. I will say, uh, if you're bringing up the uh, the awfulness of Alfred Hitchcock, I do want to say at one point I'm watching this movie, and there is the 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 girl at the check in desk or whatever that is a was a very bad actress, and all I could think was just like, is this a girl that Alfred, you know, offered a part two just to have sex with her or something. Cause it does not seem like the caliber of somebody who would be in an Alfred Hitchcock movie. <clears throat> Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I don't recall I guess, that specific yeah. person. Guess, yeah. Okay. I guess I didn't really have much of an effect on me anyway, but, uh, this movie's a classic and much like most of Alfred Hitchcock's films, this one has been highly. It's probably in the top ripped three, off, I played your, you know, like, like highly um, referenced in so much beyond this, that if it is a first time watch for you, like some of the story threads may come off as rather predictable or, or um, like a, you know, just like a trope, but this is what started all of that. Yeah. It's kind of like the blueprint for, you know, a lot of his spy movies. I mean, the hitch, the Hitchcock trope is just, yeah. And it's, Hitchcock used a lot of um, common man put into extraordinary circumstances beyond his control and then him him or her, you know, overcoming it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's 
and he used that a lot in like, you know, the 39 steps or the man who knew too much or saboteur and a lot of his earlier work. Um, but here I think is probably his best example of it. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, did you guys, uh, notice when they were, when they were finally in South Dakota, because I mean, they just, they were pretty much on a world tour, this whole, well, us tour, this whole movie. Um, when they do the fake shooting in like that, that crowded room, did you see the kid in the background get, uh, uh, plug his uh, fingers into his ears, like he knew, like a, uh, a loud coming. noise was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I missed. If you that. go back, if you go back and look at it, there's a kid like in the background. You can see him plain as day, and he's and he's plugging his ears with his fingers, and it it stayed in the movie. I was too busy being pissed at her for shooting him. Thing is, like, okay, so that's what I'm talking about. He gets shot, and and the first thing I think is like, oh, it's blanks. He's going to be fine, you know, because. But but to think like if I was sitting in the theater for the first time in 1959 watching this movie with a crowd, I bet it just floored the freaking <laughs> audience. Like, oh yeah. my god, he's dead! How how are we gonna? What's gonna happen next? You know, it would even be crazier if this movie came out like after Psycho, and now people already have that expectation of like, well, Alfred Hitchcock's just gonna yeah. kill his leading character. You know, it makes sense. This, this is gonna happen, right? So, um. But that there was is why he's the master of suspense. That's right. But there, there are still moments, and I think this is another reason why Jason probably likes this movie is that just so many bad things happen to Cary Grant throughout this yeah. whole movie. Yet, yet he can still get himself out of certain situations by using his by using his brain and being really clever it's and uh, getting trying to get the upper hand back and whatnot and. And, you know, a lot of those, again, feel like tropes now, but there was one scene that just, like, really impressed me, and that was his tactic of getting out of the auction. Yeah. <laughs> that, that scene is just so great. Fuck yeah. That oh, was, my God. It's like, what is he doing? Wait, okay. okay. Yeah, He's exactly. getting himself arrested. Genius. Yep, genius. Getting himself escorted out of there so, he, you know, the bad guys don't get him. Very, lowering very cool. the bid and then upping the bid, and I'm just and like, it's what hilarious. The fuck is this? Yeah. Oh god, it's gold. It's awesome. Yeah, that's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie, to be honest. That's great. I, I, but I was really actually shitting my pants when he gets dropped off that bus out in the middle of fucking nowhere in the oh. plane. Yeah, and you're just like, and then it gets quiet, and it just hangs there, and you're just like, oh. You are fucked, dude. You're in the middle. You are a sitting duck. And then the fucking plane, you're just like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I know about this, but it was fun to see the scene. And I mean, good Lord. The iconic scenes of uh, Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, nothing is ever going to top Janet Lee in that shower. I mean, it's just, you can't, it's, you can't beat that. But if one, if one scene is going to come close, it's Cary Grant running from that plane, in my opinion. Well, here's what I'm wondering, too, because, you know, there's obviously nothing visually or audio-wise that is by chance or a mistake when it comes to Alfred Hitchcock, right? And I'm looking at the original poster here, too, and it even has the image of Cary Grant being chased by that plane with Mount Rushmore behind him. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. that scene doesn't take place at Mount Rushmore, but... And I'm assuming some of those shots had to have been in the original advertising for it, correct? I, I would assume so. Yeah. So 
I don't think it was, I, I, I'm, I mean, we all know that this is going to happen because that, like you said, this is, um, that moment is iconic. It's an iconic moment in cinema history. Um, mm-hmm. him being chased by that, that crop duster, but did people realize it back then? Because I, I think that maybe he intentionally wanted people to know that that was going to happen because in, through that entire scene, when I'm watching it, every time a car goes by, you hear the audio of the car off in the distance first before you see the car go by. And every single time to me, it sounded like a plane. I'm like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And then it wasn't. Like it ramps up your attention. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. what he does, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. And I it's feel like it best. was intentional. It's the I think it's the setup to it and then the payoff because of the desolation of where he is and you know that he's there for a a big meeting and a major part of him trying to find out what the hell is going on but unbeknownst to him he was set up. Yeah. And then once you realize that he's set up and then here comes this plane and it's just it's such a, it's such a great payoff within the movie, I think. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's why it's so iconic. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, it, it's a, uh, I really like it because so many of these movies where they do that, like, is he crazy? The audience knows what's going on, but the other people all think he's just nuts. I, I that always like Ugh, gets yeah. at me. And, but I like at the end of this, it's like he ends up okay. And everybody understands what happens. And, they know that, you know what I mean? Like it ends up okay for the him. last five seconds. Right. Where, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dangling. Yeah. Shoot, shot, somebody gets shot. Still, right. Yeah. Come and, on. Such, Mrs. Thornhill. Yeah. They just don't make endings like that anymore where no. it's just like, boom, it's shot. So and then it's like credits. Yeah. The end. I, I really like that, that camera shot too, where they're hanging and some dumb reason, Cary Grant's asking for help from the bad guy. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the shot of just the foot stepping yeah. into the frame where his hands at, and then stepping on his foot, and then you hear the gunshot, and the foot just starts to slump. I thought it was just a masterfully done shot. I really like that too. A big like, reveal, yeah. Nothing, I, yeah, nothing cut away from just this close up of the foot and the hand. I do have a question from Mike. Is there like a Lincoln Kennedy conspiracy oh, <laughs> since they are hanging off of Lincoln? That's right, and <laughs> and Kennedy would often hang off of uh, off of hookers. Well, well, yeah, he liked his blondes too. Apparently, <laughs> see, connected. Oh, you guys missed a good bonus episode last week. <laughs> That's what they're talking about, anyway. I, I love the the chase of the whole thing, like how he gets out of things to shave. Like he goes into the bathroom yeah. and he's shaving. Like little things like that are so like weirdly charming that you could not do now because people right. don't shave in the bathroom at train stations <laughs> but or, or hiding in like a phone booth but it's let's like let's bring that back can we but it's cool shit right like yeah. how do you get out of this go in and put shaving cream all over your face and it's a oh, legit it's, disguise it's, the yeah. fucking just the physical comedy of him with that tiny little fucking razor and that other guy yeah that his, shit was like what took you so long big face small his eyes razor. Oh, it's so good his eyes are allergic to questions you know because the guy keeps you you know, like, what do you want? Why are you wearing glasses? They're allergic to questions. <laughs> um, you know, and then him driving him, them forcing him to drive that convertible. And he's just fucking smoked. And he's having he's, flashbacks. And- <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, 
I probably looked fucking worse than he did. And I probably, <laughs> I probably drove worse. And you probably um, used the same excuse to the cops too. Yeah. It's just like, I got kidnapped and salted with a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Him, him drunk and with, with the cops is just, you know, that's the thing about this movie. It's actually freaking hilarious. It is. And that's the it, thing. Um, his like, mom sucks. His mom's a bad mom. Oh, man, the oh, mom. <laughs> yeah. When she's on the elevator and she just looks at him and is like, are you planning on killing my son? <laughs> <laughs> Worst mom. Yeah. 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 And that's the thing. Like Alfred Hitchcock has always, always had, even with his even most darkest of films would have like a lot of comedy he's, to it. He's, he's got a good sense of humor. He's got a very twisted sense of humor. And I, I learned that back in the day watching the old Alfred Hitchcock present presents shows on cable back in the day. Like, man, I love those. I want to watch that. You got to love the Technicolor and the opening credits by Saul Bass are so cool. Yeah. They're like oh, yeah. diagonal along with the skyscrapers along the floors of the building. Um, and they're like blocks. It's like for the, even for that, not only that time, just like now, that would be cool. Like mm-hmm. the art of opening credits is gone, and that's really fucking cool. Like he had his own like graphic designer that did his posters and titles and stuff, and yeah, just so stylish, you know. Just yeah, between Vertigo and Psycho, I mean those those opening credits are just you know. Yeah, like you said, they're they're just they're just art. You know, it's just they're just so entertaining to watch and it's and there's really nothing you know you know fancy about it it's just really well done right and y'all can go watch it on hbo max yeah definitely recommend man it's so good this is one that's got to be part of your collection now yeah you don't buy physical media so that's true i do have it on dvd thank you i bought hbo max I have the I have a, an anniversary copy of uh, North by Northwest. I I really enjoy this film, and it I can't was remember if I it. upgraded this one to 4K or if I still have the Blu-ray. I think just mm. the Blu-ray on this one. I think I think the only Hitchcock I have on 4K is Psycho. So, all right, cool. Well, we should probably move on to our next film, uh, Andy. What would that be? Okay, our next film comes to us from 1980. It is called Without Warning. The hunting season has begun. But the hunter isn't human. Only the prey are. It came without warning. Like nothing on this earth. Our friends are dead. Beyond any known terror. No, that horrible creature. Come on, come on. They're me. Because when it leaves this planet, no one may be left alive. Look, I'm warning you. When they start eating on you, don't come to me for help. <laughs> Baby! He came down here with a spot. He wants to get himself a few trophies. You know what? Right now, you and me. We are the prize game! The hunter. The hunted. There was no tree. The thing that preys on human fear and feeds on human flesh. 
From deepest space it came. And now, man is the endangered species. It came without warning. And now it's coming for you. I'm like tap dancing at the end there. Um, Sandy and Greg are two teenage kids going camping with their friends in California. Their plan is to go to the lake in town. And despite warnings from the creepy town gas station owner, Joe Taylor, played by Jack Pounce, the kids go camping there and end up separated from each other. Greg and Sandy team up with Taylor to save the town. But unfortunately for them, Taylor is a rather is rather eccentric and fixated on hunting down the hostile alien threatening them. And a former Vietnam War veteran, Fred Dobbs, played by Martin Landau, is convinced that Sandy and Greg are the alien. Okay, we get our second um, viewing of Martin Landau as crazy Frank, uh, excuse me, Fred Sarge Dobbs, and uh, uh, Joe Taylor is played by Jack Palance. We also, uh, who was, uh, okay, Tom, which is a friend of Greg and Sandy, is uh, David Caruso, and I believe this was his film debut. Uh, Caruso, was 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 he like uh, NCIS or something like that? Something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he always put on the sunglasses real slow. Yeah, okay. I, I know him from se- uh, Session 9, though. Come on. Oh, yeah. oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think I remember him from Jade. But anyway, not important. Um, basically, uh, these kids go out to, you know, do a little camping and something something is basically throwing these ninja star starfish sucker things at them that are alien and it's, you know, attaching to them and rip, ripping their guts out. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway... <laughs> um the movie the movie starts out almost it kind of reminded me like of the way hatchet started out with like the father and son uh yeah. hunting and um basically this um whatever this alien is throwing at them and killing them it ends up uh killing the father and the son and the son the son is kind of like a hippie uh, because he basically unloaded the shotgun and couldn't fire back and he gets killed too and then you cut to literally the worst scoutmaster I've ever seen on film <laughs> or, yeah, or, or ever. Okay, let's let I just want to just elaborate <laughs> on what this what this guy does. He separates himself from his Cub Scouts, you know, in a in a wooded area, which is probably, you know, there's there's like the first cardinal sin. Uh basically he wants to go and and smoke. And then when he goes, does go try to light his cigarette, he tries to light it with a flint, but he can't. <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't notice a uh, a firearm that's been unattended, with, you know, within the, the realm of, of children, too. So, yeah, um, I'm kind of glad this guy died because he was an idiot. Um, I just want to interject real quick. Some there's I'm what sometimes when I'm watching movies for the show and I really miss the days of Andy's favorite line from a film, because I think yeah. it would have been, I oh. think it would have been when Larry Storch said, when he's telling the kids to go find rocks to bring home to his parents, to their parents. And he said something to the effect of, 
but don't pick up any rattlesnakes because they have germs. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I don't know. I may have missed that. I, I wet myself on that line. That was hilarious. He, it was comic timing gold, too, because he put that little pause right there. He says, don't pick up any rattlesnakes because they have germs. They have germs. Um. <clears throat> I did forget to mention that um, Dean Cundy uh, is uh, did the cinematography on this, but uh, I think the version that I watched, I think I watched mine on Plex, and it was so, uh, yeah, the quality of the film just did not look good to me. That maybe the version you guys watched might have been a little bit better, but I figure it's Dean freaking Cundy, so I'm he's worth mentioning. Another name. Um, who played who played the alien in the end that um spoiler alert they blew him up in a shack um is kevin peter hall but he played a much cooler alien alien about seven years later in predator um yeah um not not a big fan of this one guys not not really really i I figured this would be an andy pick (laughs) right right yeah, I mean, I I didn't hate it, but I wasn't really crazy about it. I mean, I think the the saving grace for me was probably Martin Landau, just him acting acting really crazy. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the the one thing that I did really like, um, you couldn't really tell which one was the town cuckoo in, in the beginning, um, whether it was um, Joe or or Fred, because they were both really kind of putting out the crazy Ralph vibes for me with with me, like you know, basically kind of like how Ralph says like Camp Crystal Lake is cursed, and Joe saying like you know, don't go out there, you know, don't go out and, you know, near the lake, there's something out there. And Fred just being, well, crazy. He's like a section eight in the army. Um, but yeah, there was, there was parts in the movie that I liked where, you know, Fred had hijacked the, you know, the police car and they don't know it's him and they think they're going to be able to, you know, get some help. And basically, you know, Fred thinks they're aliens. Um, Oh heck, what else what else did I really like? Um if b- before I pass this on, if I do have to recommend a Martin Landau movie that uh he made either in it was either 80 or 81, I would say if you want Martin Landau in this time period in horror, watch Alone in the yes, Dark. Yes, Alone in the Dark. Because he is such a bug-eyed crazy bastard in that movie. I don't think he blinks. <laughs> no, I, I I freaking love that movie. That movie is so highly underrated, and it's interesting because that also has Jack Palance in it, just like uh, this one yes. does. And uh, Alone in the Dark also has Donald Pleasance. Yeah, who again plays a doctor. Again, yep. plays a very bad doctor, but he's a little more batshit crazy in Alone in the Dark than he is in Halloween. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I'm also convinced one- they have the same poster artist. For those two oh, films, right. because oh, this yeah. poster is seriously one of the best I've ever seen. I love it a lot. Yeah. And Alone in the Dark is um, iconic, too. Anyway, okay, yeah, sorry. Kind of the same thing with, like, a picture with inside the silhouette yep. of the... Yeah. It's... This 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 one's oh, this one's okay. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I'm not really in love with it. Um, 
the the design of the alien it kind of reminded me of like the really big headed uh richard richard keel from uh what was it uh, twilight zone mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um it 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 was kind of eerily reminiscent of that but we we didn't really see him. I mean basically when he gets shot he looks like he sprung a leak in his shoulder because I mean that <laughs> shit just I mean it looked like somebody popped a water balloon. I mean it just looked like sh- it just really really kind of shot out but well, and it um, sounded like a faucet too, you know. It, and, <laughs> and he sounded like weird. an and he sounded like an elephant when he got blown up. Did you hear that? That's because they used elephant noises for uh oh. for the sounds of the alien. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when they, when they, you know, basically, you know, they blew up an elephant in the end and I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't hate it and, but I'm not really in love with it, but, um, it's, it's worth a watch, but anyway, I'll shut up. What'd you guys think? I probably fall in the same category as you. Um, it was like crazy enough to like, but not like balls to the wall crazy enough to like love it for being crazy if that makes sense like yeah. i wanted them to oh, go yeah. a little yeah. further yeah like when we see these things like these these suckers grab them and, and start you know pumping the blood and stuff i'm like i want more of that i want some like big ones that cover their whole face i want like yeah. these things flying around i want it but when we get those scenes i really like that stuff um and i like the paranormal the, the paranoia of like who's doing this that nobody trusts anybody. I mean, it's the typical thing we've seen in everything from American werewolf in London to hostel, like where the strangers walk into a bar and we need help and no one knows who to trust. And you can't trust these new kids that come into town and, uh, they can't trust the, the locals and you know, there's, there's bodies in the barn and maybe after watching, um, you know, these, these type of conspiracy movies, I was almost expecting like, when they get back to that little shed that the bodies would be gone and no one would believe him. And it's like, they, Hmm. I would be a little more freaked out if I fell in a hole that was like six feet down. Like she casually falls in a hole. That's like deeper than her entire, like, (laughs) I mean, it's like a seven foot hole and she falls down and she's fine. And she's like, Oh, dang it. Help me out. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like that, I'd get the fuck out of there and (laughs) not turn her back, you know? But, uh, yeah, it was it was fine. It was I mean, it's hard to com- no spoilers, but it's like you're comparing it against two of my favorite movies. Um yeah. so it probably up against these two, but if this was on like another Mike Week, this could have been the best one. So <laughs> That's true. That says, you know, it, it, it's like it's it's Aww. only hurt it's only hurt by its competition. So I I enjoyed it. It was short at least, it was 90 minutes. Uh it was fun. It had some probably unintentional humor in it, but um, it looked like uh, sort of like Kelso was, you know, from that 70s show was walking around as the lead. It sort of reminded me of him with the hair and yeah. Yeah. They still got him though. So, uh, yeah. Did I mention that the poster was really cool? <laughs> Love that poster. Yeah, when you finally see um, yeah. the aliens that are on the poster, it's sort of like underwhelming. I but actually it looks cool on the poster. Yeah, no, I I I, I kind of liked the alien design, and he was cool. And I didn't, I don't uh, the the little frisbee guys. I don't <laughs> care about. I just they're like, they remind me of like pe- when pe- people throw pizza dough in the air, yeah. you know, and they're making. That's what they look like. To yeah, me. but they sound <laughs> like little bats, <laughs> which <laughs> I'm surprised <laughs> Mike even liked. <laughs> um, I thought. Jack Palance was out of his fucking mind. 
Yeah. Um, I didn't enjoy that. But, uh, and Landau was a little, I did. It was. But that poster, guys, if you look at it, if you look at it, I suppose you loved it. Oh, and then Graydon Clark. Come on. Of course. That's why Mike loves this movie. Tell us why you love it. Yeah, it's um, interesting you brought up Graydon Clark because I was going to bring that up, the uh, director. And I believe he was he's inducted into the Insane Spicks Hall of Fame. Oh, you know he is. Uh, you know, director of Joysticks, uh, Wacko, <laughs> Satan's Cheerleaders. So had to make you guys watch without warning. Come on. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think I'm more in the Tad category with this oh. one. Had some, you know, it had some fun stuff to it, but uh, not enough wackiness in it to to love it. I mean, there's moments when when there's no pizza dough alien suckers <laughs> and no alien where it's just, you know. But I did like the charisma of that main dude. He didn't end up doing much in his life. I mean, oh yeah, I know, I know. I, I looked him somebody because I looked him up, and yeah, you're right. He didn't do much because. I'm watching this movie trying to think of where I knew this guy from, and I thought he looks I like thought he should he be in the Howling or something. Yeah, I, I thought he looked like um, I thought it was in the old Facts of Life TV show. Joe had yeah. this boyfriend who was in the Navy. I forget the character's name, and I thought it was that same actor. So I had to look him up, and it wasn't. If if I may intervene, um, I will say the one scene that I thought was hilarious is when they're in the van. And they're traveling down the road. They're trying to get help. And one of the, well, and a little bit of the pizza dough is on the uh, windshield. (laughs) And they're freaking out. And she just goes, try the windshield wipers. (laughs) And it flicks it off. (laughs) They've been going down the road like maybe three or four miles just freaking out. And they're just like, try the windshield wipers. And it flicks it off, and they're like, "Oh, <laughs> we yeah. defeated it!" <laughs> yeah, they just get so like outrageously happy <laughs> over this like simple task. I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> oh yeah, um, but yeah, there's just a lot of moments where you're not getting where because for me, the saving grace of this movie is Martin Lando and Jack Palance. Like, I watch those guys in anything, especially when they're full-on crazy, like they are in this movie. Out of their minds. I, I've never seen another actor like Jack Palance that no matter what he's doing, you know, if it's freaking, um, uh, what was the show he used to host? Ripley's when he, Whether oh, he's hosting great. Ripley's Believe It or Not, or if he's in City Slickers, or if he's in this where trying to kill Tango and Cash. He gets that weird little smile on his face, and you don't know if he's happy or if he's going <laughs> to rip your head off and use your skull as a spittoon. I just, I, you just don't know, and you don't want to be in the same room with the guy ever. And I've never, never seen a performance performer like that ever, where you can't exactly pinpoint the character's emotions at any given time, where it's either it's either normal or homicidal. Wa- Chris- Christopher Walken's pretty close to that, if you ask me. So anytime they were not on the screen and the the the, the pizza dough sucker creatures were not on the screen, um, which there was a lot of moments of that where oh. the movie just kind of drags. So that's was kind of a bummer. I did also like the look of the alien. Um, the alien head itself was uh, created by Rick Baker, of all things, which is crazy. Uh, they spent $19,000 to have Rick Baker just do the head of the alien. Um, but I thought it looked cool. Uh, you know, and that uh, that guy who played the Predator who plays this alien 
It's a tall mother effer. Uh, he was also, if anybody, and when I say anybody, I think I just basically mean Jason, who's old enough to remember the hey. TV show Misfits of Science. Oh, hell yeah. You remember the big, tall, black scientist no. guy? Okay, yeah. never mind. Did you know that was also... Is that the um, same guy? Yeah. I, that's That sounds right. <laughs> Did you know that was also one of Courtney Cox's first things she ever did was Misfits of Science? Yes. That yeah. and Bruce Springsteen videos. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Misfits of Science was such a good show. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. One more thing about Alone in the Dark. <laughs> <laughs> His, the movie. Um, Martin Lando's performance in that, I always thought like, man, if he was younger, he could have played the greatest Joker of all time. Yes, he's got the face. He's got the face, but oh man, that in the Lone of the Dark, oh. he gets that like evil laugh going um, when he's like hunting down the mailman to steal the mailman's hat. And he's yes. like, "I want your hat." <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we should have watched the Lone of the Dark. Alone in, have you seen Alone in the Dark, Tad? No. One on the list. First, first I'm afraid time, of the dark. Man. Have first you ever time. seen a magic trick? It stars um, the 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 crazy one from the A Team, um, the one that Hannibal. No, no, no um, Mad Dog Murdoch. Yeah, Mad Mr. Dog T. Murdoch. He played the crazy one on the A Team, but yet he's the normal one in Alone in the Dark. So, Tad, Maybe what's our? What made him crazy. <laughs> that's without warning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Tad, what's our third movie? Our third movie is a modern one from 2019. It is The Vast of Night. <laughs> Number, please. Hello? Can you please read? Large object holding over my land. Like a tomato. This is WOTW Radio in Cayuga, New Mexico, and this is the news for the hour. Uh, what would you like to tell us about yourself? I don't know. Well, aren't you like some big science girl? Tell me about science. It's Faye. I'm a sound came for the board and interrupted your radio show. What a sound. What's going on, Everett? 718 here at WOTW. We got a sound we'd like to play that seems to be bouncing around the valley tonight. Yes, I have a story that might be helpful. I can tell you what's going on. The sound we heard out in the desert, it was coming from thousands of feet higher than anything could fly. They've come here before. They've liked this place. They always have. It is 7.45 p.m. and we may have some little needs that we fall. What? We voted from Colt Canyon. Who's that? It's Everett. Stop smiling. What's he doing here? He's helping me. Stop smiling. Get in. It's outside of town. Come on, come on, come on. Hey, come on. Something's up there now. There's something talking. And they don't stay for long. Hey. Everett, take the wheel. What's going on? There's something in the sky. Yes, the vast of night. I'm so excited for this one. 
this was one that I think made my top 10 in 2019. Oh, mine too. Our best. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this was a surprise hit when I, for me, when I, when I saw it, uh, you know, it's not that Amazon's known for their great original sci-fi horror. Um, but man, this movie just hits on every mark for me. Um, one night in New Mexico in the late 1950s, a switchboard operator and a radio DJ discover a strange audio frequency which could change the future forever. So really, really simple plot, but the way it is put together, the way it is shot, these two main characters, um, Faye and Everett, are their chemistry is so fantastic. Mm, their performances oh yeah. are just so good. The way this is Absolutely. shot, almost the opening is like a single shot. It sort of sets it right up. It's very simple. Um, we almost don't see anything, but it's terrifying. Um, the the basic premise, as I just sort of said, but like she, uh, Faye works at the what is the switchboard, and Everett is a radio DJ, and they're friends, and they're sort of walking to work separately this weird frequency, the sound comes over the air and she patches it into to Everett who ends up putting it on the air, which leads to a mysterious man calling with a conspiracy theory. You could say some stories that he had about what the sound could be. Um, we find out that this man is black and back in the fifties, that did matter that um, these experiments they did to these guys uh, that they, these jobs they made them do. Um, they only made like black and Mexican men do them. So they wouldn't be believed. Um, and then we meet another character, an older woman who, who is like speaking a different language. And she's like use, telling them to use this. Uh, and it's just it's so gorgeous. I love the like I could watch this on mute Fuck and yeah. love it. <laughs> and then this, but you could also watch it with your TV off. Just listen to it. And it's like a, a teleplay. Um, oh, so yeah. the fact it shuts off in it several scenes. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah it literally. There's no picture. Yeah, and it's so uh, simplistic. I love it for its simplicity. It's but it's it's so amazing. Like uh, this one blows my mind. This is one like I wouldn't shut up about a few years ago when it popped back up for an episode. I was so stoked to have a reason mm-hmm. to go back and watch it again. And I think I liked it even more this yeah. time. I didn't think that was possible, yes. but yes. Um, fantastic performances. Like, like I said, from uh, Sierra McCormick, uh, who plays Faye and then Jake Horowitz who plays Everett. Um, and it's mostly those two. We have a couple scenes with other actors, um, but it's really those two leading the, the movie and, you know, it, it builds up to something, but what's cool about it is that while it does build up to it, there's not like a really huge epic ending, but it doesn't need that. It's about the build up to it. It's about the tension of not knowing about them finding out and, he couldn't set it during another time. And, and from reading, this was like based on um, a true is loosely based on a true story. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But this director, um, Andrew Patterson hasn't done anything since and had never done anything before. Really? Oh, yeah. that's a shame. Um, and he wow. directed, wrote, wrote it under a pseudonym. So he didn't, he's uncredited right. as a writer and director on the movie. Um, this played, I believe, at like Sundance and or Slam Dance premiered at Slam Dance in January 2019, and Amazon uh, saw it and smartly picked it up. And and I, it's funny because maybe a few days ago, earlier this week, I was looking on my Facebook memories, and this was playing at the drive-in in uh, Bluegrass, mm. Iowa. And I'm I want to kick myself in the fucking face Jeez. for not going to see it. 
what a cool movie to uh-huh. see at the drive drive in. So uh And how many years ago that. was that that memory it, on Facebook? Uh that was twenty twenty, May twenty twenty. Hmm. Two years ago on the day, and we pick it also for a podcast. Yeah, May, it came out May 29th, 2020. Is that a conspiracy? Which is, what's today? The 24th, so a couple days away. Hmm. Um, Coincidence? Yes. The fucking energy, the kinetic energy of this movie from its cinematography to the dialogue, its nonstop pace. You're just on the edge of your fucking seat the whole time. It's just, it's so amazing. Because you, you, the whole movie, you're going from one place to another place to another place to another place. It never lets you sit down and stop for a second, really. And uh, it's just some of the most beautiful shots in cinematography. <laughs> the, like the music's great. While being the most oh my God. S- simple fucking movie you've ever seen. I just am blown away. I Less is movie. more. If there is oh. truly another plane of existence, Rod Serling is holding his cigarette and nodding approvingly <laughs> like a motherfucker at this movie. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. The name of the town... In the movie, it's a it's a fictional town, and the name of the town I can't remember what it, what the name of the town was, but it was actually Rod Serling, the name of Rod Rod Serling's production company that produced the Twilight Zone. Oh, nice! I nice. mean, it starts off with sort of like a Twilight Zone um, yeah, a little prologue, Paradox yeah. Theater. Yeah. yeah, really cool. Yeah, um, I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. I adore this film. Um, I love the chemistry between um, Everett and and Faye. Um, you can tell that um, Everett, you know, he puts on this front with people just in in terms of his character. But once he's alone with Faye, he really lets his true self be known. And he he really, I think he re- he's really into Faye a lot more than he lets on. But like once they're together, he, he tends to he tends to soften up a bit, which you know. I think that's that's very subtle. You don't really notice it because you're just you're too in tune to what's you know going on. You know what what the situation is. Um, but yeah, I love the sets. I mean, they made it. You know, the time period wise, it looks perfect down to you know basketball uniforms, the the gym, the cars, um, of course, the clothing, uh, freaking soda machines, the, the, the electrical equipment. I mean, everything is just absolutely spot on perfect. And I'm sometimes it may sound like I'm a stickler for that, but I'm looking at this stuff and I'm just, I'm just, I, I love what I see. So I'm like, I'm noticing everything. Um, but yeah, just I mean, and it, normally I uh, just it, the the ending, which seems so bleak, but you don't you don't really know what happens to them. Oh, I love its ambiguousness. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm like I'm right behind um Tad on this one. I love it every. I love this movie a little bit more every time I see it, and I l- absolutely freaking loved it the first time I saw it. So. Yeah, um, highly, highly, highly. I can't recommend this movie enough. Turn off all um, the lights and and put it on and sit back and enjoy mm-hmm. it. It's just yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah, and you you, I mean, sometimes when you watch horror films, it's so hard to care about people 
because sometimes they're just sheep's led to slaughter. But you care about Everett and Faye. You care about them. At least, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really attached to these characters, you know. Oh, yeah. um, uh, and just, I mean, even, even so much, you know, the town, because you know, I'm from a small town, you know. I mean, just we all act, act like that, you know. I mean, if we saw something big ass and hovering in the sky, we'd be, you know, freaking the fuck out. Just like, no, no, it doesn't matter if it'd be the '50s. I mean, it matter now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think you guys have pretty much covered everything about, you know. I have nothing bad whatsoever to say about this film. The Fast and Night is awesome. It's it's almost insulting to like compare, but like the the super smooth fast dialogue that's back and forth between Everett and Faye has that like it, it takes me back to like the first time I saw Clerks, and I'm like, whoa, the way these guys are talking to each other is like, and, and this is better, I would you know oh. say, but oh, like yeah. when, yeah. I remember just seeing Clerks for the first time and, and thinking like, oh, this is like how real people talk. This isn't like how movie people talk. You know what I mean? And it, it, the back and forth and sort of like Tarantino is good at that, too, where uh, you can have a whole scene of people just sitting at a table talking and you're completely engaged where this is like them just walking through a small town at night in a summer. It gives you that big vibes. I mean, we're all from small town uh, Midwest, so we know those summer nights where you hear the crickets and you see the lightning bugs. And it's like if something goes down in your town everybody knows about it. It spreads fast, you know? And, and it's like the paranoia, the, the panic and paranoia of like, well, someone said they saw something in the sky and Everett's like, well, don't go be saying that. Cause there's no, you know, that they confirm that. Uh-huh. And then they're, they're like driving the car and, and he, he, the, the driver is like sort of taken by the aliens briefly and starts to steer off the road. She has the baby with her and it's like, Oh shit, you know? And yeah. And that really. dialogue has such a great fifties, uh, style to oh, it you yes know? it's it just yeah never Jeez, like never feels and, yeah so perfectly yeah, the, yeah, like the, everything the nail it. yeah like raz my berries and we're baking biscuits and just and just yeah anything that they say is just yeah and it doesn't come off and the way that it's delivered it doesn't come off as cheesy or you don't want to roll your eyes at it, it you feels just, authentic you, you, yeah you, you yeah kinda, it's not an homage yeah, you, you you feel kind of you know warm and fuzzy inside, even though you never heard the shit, you know, when you you weren't even alive. But um, when you when you mention small towns and like the crickets chirping, I mean, it's just like I mean, I think where you're from, you know, depends on you know how you how you watch this, you know, what what would scare you like in this movie? Because like when I hear crickets chirping outside, you know, and just like. I feel like a sense of serenity and calm because there's nothing, there's no like madness and traffic going around in me. Whereas like if a city kid heard that shit, he'd probably freak the fuck out because it's too quiet and something is, you know, really scary is about to happen. But, um, yeah, just like you guys, like you guys said, just the, the, the dialogue and everything and, Man, I might as well just shut up because I can't say enough good things about this, you know, movie. People need to watch it. More people need to see it. And dude, what about that oneer from the moment she lights up that cigarette and then we just it goes all the way through town oh, yeah. through the basketball game. Mm-hmm. So good, and all, yeah, and back yeah. one shot. It's just God, this movie's brilliant. Yeah, I totally dig I totally dug, dug shots like that. Those like really long tracking shots following in and out of things. I would, yeah, you. I would hate to be an actor having to memorize all that shit that they had to do in this 
Good Lord. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, this movie is, is great. Uh, definitely, you know, I'm a fan because of that fast, that fast wit back and forth dialogue. I've always been a fan of, of just, just really quick dialogue like that. And with that fifties feel to it really speaks to me a lot as well. I, I, yeah, I'm, I definitely feel like when it you feels, were a kid. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely feel they really captured what I would assume the fifties was like. Um, because I have no idea what the fifties were. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, you, Jason. I think you mentioned just how, like how just all the back and forth and never taking a moment to really sit down or anything. Yeah. I loved that stuff where just doesn't. She goes. She she runs from the switchboard over to the to the library, and she's, she's just running back and forth because she doesn't have a car. Yeah, she's just always running through this entire town, and that just dev- definitely takes you back to a time. That uh, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, people can't can't uh, take out their garbage without getting in the car first and driving to the end of the driveway. Let alone driving from or running, running, running from your job to the public library to the radio station. Um, yeah, and and it's and what's cool is that just that the camera is just following her and on top of her the whole time, which is great, great, <clears throat> so good. Yeah, so I I really enjoyed this too, and I I I love the simplicity of it, you know, as well. I I love simple stories like this, and and you know, it's it's not a lot of ha- that happens physically, but there's still a lot going on, which is also really good, really cool. And can we get Andrew Patterson a new movie? What the hell? No doubt. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he sort of looks like Robin Williams from uh, Jumanji at the end, but. Uh, <laughs> Who am I to say? Uh, the filmmaker definitely was was paying a lot of homage, and I feel really captured the feel of like horror anthology shows from the fifties, like Twilight Zone and whatnot, and the old radio days. Uh, you know, as a kid, like the public library would have um, tapes of old radio shows and I would rent those all the time and I just love listening to old radio shows and this really feels like that a lot of that as well which is just so so cool um and you get that too like somebody mentioned before on how the screen will literally just fade to black and just linger on black during a chunk of the dialogue um throughout throughout this movie and it's awesome um but yeah that, I was just reading through IMDb trivia and there is there is just a lot of homages to uh 50 sci-fi sci-fi horror um throughout this movie the radio station call letters w-o-t-w is an homage to war of the worlds oh yeah which obviously this movie has got to be highly inspired by you know just based on on what's going on so yeah total thumbs up for me as well i dug it i think I think I remember watching it. I know I've watched it before, and I think it was for the that particular year ender. It may not have made my top ten. I don't remember. Um, well, there was maybe just superior films that year. I don't know, but uh, but it's definitely yeah, definitely a great film. So yeah, um, feels like we've been talking forever. So I think we should take a break and listen to a promo for our podcast network called. The Prescribed Films Podcast Network. We have so many various shows on the PFPN, including un- 
including unsung horror. I can't say that. (laughs) Unsung horror. Uh, You get reviews of underseen horror films, movies with less than um, a thousand views on Letterboxd, hosted by Lance and Erica. Definitely check them out and all the other shows at thepfpn.com. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show, and it's now time to turn it over to you guys, the listeners. Go. It's time for... Shoutouts! All right, let's start over in the Facebook group edition. Uh, we just asked, you know, what's your favorite conspiracy-based horror movies? And up first, we got Abe, Attacker Abe, Kirshner says. Bug. It's Michael Shannon being paranoid and amazing for an hour and 40 minutes. What oh, more yeah. do you need? That movie is amazing and <laughs> disturbing and disgusting. <laughs> And uh, next we got uh, attacker Tony Miller. He says, nice. I hate movies. <laughs> Up next we got Tim Letterer. He says, they live. It's John Carpenter's horror slash science fiction hybrid movie that asks, what if the Reagan revolution was just setting up the 99% for total extermination in the service of inhuman overlords? Looking at the world of 2022, my only problem with the movie is that it thinks there's going to be a happy ending. He says, oh, also Cthulhu from 2007. A man goes back to his crappy homophobic town for his mother's funeral, and it turns out dad's weird cult, one of the many, many reasons the protagonist never wanted to go back home after he left, is doing weirder and more dangerous stuff than the lead ever even imagined. Then we got Brian Clark, uh, Mikhail Sovai's The Sect. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. It's a beautifully shot, atmospheric, occult nightmare. The Sect. That is a good movie. And then we got the Reebster, Mike Reeb. He says, since they live has already been mentioned, I'm going to go with Cabin in the Woods and the Omen Trilogy. Oh. Men. Trilogy. That's right. Uh, let's see. And then over on the Facebook page, we got Lisa from the Bad Bunny Movie Podcast. She says, They Live and Return of the Living Dead are classics. They Live is even more powerful on the big screen. The Vast of Night is a more recent addition to conspiracy horror and a fun watch, if only for the use of switchboards. <laughs> <laughs> And our last shout out here is from attacker Brett Royer. He says, definitely they live and pie. Oh, 
Does he just want pie? No, it's just P.I., so the movie pie. Okay. Um, we don't have anything on Facebook and Twitter, but guys, we got a couple voicemails. Nice. You're going to want to hear these. Up first, this guy. Hey, everybody. Attack of Ryan for my biweekly telephone call. And it sounds like we're covering uh, conspiracies movies on this episode. And I saw a couple people say they live. I haven't seen anybody say this stuff. Or the brain from 1988 that I actually just checked out this week. And when we're talking about conspiracies and horror movies or science fiction, how do we leave out the whole series of the X-Files, which was one of my favorites growing up? Hope everybody has a good week. Take care. Bye. All right, and one more. Here's the brain. What, the that brain. Been a good one. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. You should have worked on the Blu-ray. Oh, guess what? What I did work on the Blu-ray. That's so cool. All right, one more voicemail from Aaron. Hello, Attack of the Killer Podcasters. This is Aaron Reese from Campfire Indoctrination Podcast. When it comes to conspiracy theories, it's it's. These movies are great because they, they inhabit a world of, of secrets and there's, there's so much out there. You're, you, you never, you're on the edge of your seat because you never know what sort of malevolent force is on the other side of your front door. Uh, in choosing one horror conspiracy movie, I, I have to go with the 1988 John Carpenter film starring Roddy Roddy Piper, uh, Roddy Roddy Piper and Keith David. Hold on one second. Hi, let me just finish this thing. Up. <laughs> what just happened? Uh, hmm. Aaron? Hello? Aaron, you there? <laughs> Conspiracy. Is that a new segment you're working on? Well, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you, Aaron, and thanks, everyone. And you all can I leave. I he's okay. I do, too. We should probably message him and see. Eh, I'm busy. Okay, so, but anyone else, uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, you can give us a call at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. Leave us that voicemail. Uh, it might be evidence, who knows, but, uh, we'll play it on the show and that is shout outs, but we're not done yet. One last piece of conspiracy, how this guy got a podcast. We may never know <laughs> up next. It's insane's picks. <laughs> He's big. He is a hulk of a man at seven foot four inches. He was stuck playing monsters and heavies in films and television, including one of the many, including one of the many great actors who played Frankenstein's monster. Although his version would be considered the Play-Doh faced Frankenstein monsters. Uh, from Al Adamson's Dracula versus Frankenstein. This Insane Spix Hall of Fame, we induct the a giant in the industry, John Bloom. John Bloom was born February 19th, 1944, and grew up in and around Los Angeles. He originally worked as an accountant who 
was coerced into acting in 1971 by a legendary schlock exploitation filmmaker, Al Adamson. Bloom made his acting debut as Frankenstein's monster in the mess of a film, uh, Dracula vs. Frankenstein, in 1971. To this day, he is the tallest actor to ever play Frankenstein's monster, a whole 17 inches, inches taller than Boris Karloff. In the movie, Frankenstein's monster kills a police, a police officer played by Albert Cole. In that exact same year of 1971, John Bloom and Albert Cole played the title creature together in The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant. In that movie, John plays, plays Danny, the dim-witted son of a caretaker who has the head of an escaped psycho killer transplanted onto his body. However, John would continue to work with Al Adamson in supporting roles in both Brain of Blood in 1971 and Angel's Wild Women in 1972. By 1979, he was the murderous extraterrestrial who terrorizes Los Angeles in the sci-fi horror movie The Dark. The movie that was originally directed by Toby Hooper until he was fired and replaced with a completely different director. After the 1970s, John would make his way into more Hollywood films, including one of my favorites, Bachelor Party from 1984. <laughs> he was the intimidating <laughs> he was the intimidating bodyguard for the Indian Indian pimp who had to go and get the hookers back from the party. Remember, Mitch will cut your balls off. Even though he was doing more mainstream films and television, that didn't mean he wouldn't return to horror. He was the Reaper in uh, the Reaper, one of the cannibal hillbillies in the only movie where a dog has a flashback scene. The Hills Have Eyes Part Two. <laughs> That's right. Bloom continued working throughout the 1980s and early 1990s, playing tall, hulking thugs and seedy criminals in minor to small roles in movies and television until until health problems led to his semi-retirement in the mid-1990s. Being a giant, he also suffered from many health issues, such as an enlarged heart, among many other physical problems. John Bloom died of heart failure on January 15, 1999, at the age of 54. He was n- he may not have ha- has had a giant body of work in the world of Insane's Picks, uh, he most definitely left a giant mark in Z-grade cult cinema, though. So in this Insane's Picks Hall of Fame, we induct John Bloom. You did it! And that is all for another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I would like to end this episode with a joke. Ready? Oh, boy. Three conspiracy theorists walk into a bar. You can't tell me that's just coincidence. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Oh no, could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer Podcast.